Welcome to this episode of On the Air, a podcast for individuals interested in teaching and learning about the profession of occupational therapy. I'm Stephanie Lancaster, and this is the space for exchanging and informing as we talk about topics and ideas related to the field of OT. studio with me today is occupational therapist Vikram Pagpatten, who is a practicing Asian American OT practitioner from New York City. Vic is a full-time assistant professor and admissions coordinator at SUNY Downstate's MSOT program, as well as an adjunct lecturer at York College. Before he began his career as an OT, Vikram served the city he loves as a paramedic and found the profession of occupational therapy on his graveyard shift through one of his patients. Vikram's clinical interests are in the areas of assistive technology and seating and mobility within pediatric practice. He presently serves on the American Occupational Therapy Association's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion committee, as well as as the social media chair of the Asian Pacific Heritage Occupational Therapy Association, and as a cohort member of the 2021 AOTA Academic Leadership Institute. So today, I'm going to talk to Vikram about the influence of diversity within the OT profession his path to the profession and since then, and his quest for a position on the AOTA Board of Directors. Welcome, Vic. Thank you so much for being a guest on On the Air. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to speak with you. I want to kick it off, though, asking you kind of my standard opening question that I find so fascinating. How did you originally find your way or even just hear about the wonderful profession of occupational therapy? Sure, sure. Um, That's a profound question. And I think that's a really important question because it's it's pretty unique for everyone, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, mine started in, in a cold night back on in the back of an ambulance. I, I used to be a paramedic in New York City uh, for a long time before occupational therapy school, getting into the actual program. And a one of a one of my patients back then um, that we picked up in Brooklyn, New York, actually had a broken hip. They, they ended up falling, unfortunately, outside in the snow. Mm. And you know, we we responded, got to the call. It was a snowy night, so it took a long time to get to the hospital. So that obviously led to a conversation. And I found out that this individual was a really great occupational therapist in in Queens, New York, another borough of New York. And all of a sudden, the sparkles in his eyes and the sparkles in my eyes, and we we connect in the back of an ambulance in a cold winter night. And uh, a Google search later, Stephanie, and I was applying to OT school. It's, It's just as simple as that. Isn't it? I think about this probably more than I should, but I think it's so cool that one single exchange or and really even one moment in time can change right. the trajectory of somebody's whole life and then people around you, their lives too. Right. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Very, very fascinating. And, you know, while we, we regret that that person had a, a hip fracture, I sure am glad that led you to where you are now. Absolutely. It was, uh, it was unfortunately their pain and, and their weight bearing status that led me to apply to an OT school. And, uh, right. and, and yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you know, another thing, part of that story that really sticks out to me is that it was a male OT. Correct. Right. That spoke to you because that's part of what I think I want to talk to you about is I've, the expression that I've heard over and over is for many people, if you don't see one, you don't know you can be one. Correct. And so that's one of the many reasons it's really important for us to continue to push the initiative of diversifying our profession. Correct. Absolutely. So that's a great really segue. Um, but I do want to ask you this. So then, so you went, you were a second career OT student, right? Right. And you know, OT programs generally love that because there's some maturity to the student and just some life experience. And I think that's something that's really unique in the OT profession is that we, we really value that. We don't think you just need to know only what you learn in the two or three years of OT school. It's your, all your experience and education and knowledge and perspective. It's often a, it's often a compounding experience where it's almost like a domino effect. What's the next phase? What's the next chapter? So on and so on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you were in OT school, what did what area of the profession did you think you would end up working in? I really thought I was interested in neuro because because a lot of paramedicine or being an emergency medical technician yeah. has to do with, uh, unfortunately, emergency medical situations such as strokes and traumatic brain injuries and motor vehicle accidents. So I really thought it was neuro. But then all of a sudden, this um, there was it was a male pediatric professor. <laughs> Again, I don't know what it is with, with males because it's pretty rare back in the day. Yeah, uh, kind of shed light into early intervention, and they shed light into working with neuromotor pediatric populations. Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated, um, Stephanie, because it's it's almost like you can kind of use the most ex- ex- amplified therapeutic use of self while working in the neuro population, but specifically with peds. So I'm like who wouldn't want to do this? And like, it's a no brainer. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I kind of, uh, my passion sparked within PEDS. And that's what I teach now in my professional role within academia as well as PEDS. Um, th- that is my clinical specialty also assistive technology and neuro yep. and PEDS. So we have that in common and, and I couldn't agree more. It's the best of all the worlds, I think. Right. And hopefully I think pe- everybody in OT feels like that about their little niche. Right. It's not just us. We just happen to share that yep. in common. So you graduated then. And then what was your very first job as a baby OT? Sure, sure. In, in the scary world of being a professional with the very yeah. first with a, with a goniometer in my back pocket, it was, <laughs> right. uh, it was, it was actually, it was, um, uh, you know, humbly, it was the VA administration of New York. So the VA hospitals, um, it was one of my level twos and it was for three months at physical disabilities. It, it's, it was a slash of a long-term care center slash uh, skilled nursing facility. So it's almost like a, not, not acute, but subacute to, to some degree. Yeah. Uh, the VA was a great, great setting, Stephanie. I mean, um, to work with veterans from young adults to geriatrics, um, veterans with progressive neuro to orthopedic injuries, or, you know, even psychosocial concerns, obviously. Um, my very first job was right after my second level two, which was in a VA facility. The same facility offered me a job. Um, I quickly replied after five seconds, yes, I'll, t- I'll take the interview two in the morning. I don't care. <laughs> uh, you know, back then it was back then before, you know, Instagram took off and, and Facebook and Twitter, you really had to respond very quickly when it came to certain opportunities. Yes. So I took it, went for the interview. Um, fortunately, it was my CI that was interviewing me. So we had a relationship as it was. And then 
yeah, it, it was a ha happy ever after at that point. I was in the VA for almost five years before getting into academia. That's great. And so how did you really get connected with AOTA and, and the, some of the volunteer and leadership things that you have been doing in our National Professional Association? Sure, sure. It, it was definitely reinforced throughout my entire time with an OT school. Um, the, the, the power of membership, that's what uh, I, I keep on hearing and I kept on seeing as, as an evidence. To be a part of a larger organization is to have a say, is to have some type of say, not only in advocacy, but rather in representation. Me being the only male graduate within my year of OT school, and I can, I can name a handful of male occupational therapists as well that I know from the AOTA. So the networking potential was ridiculous from the conferences to the, um, for example, the education summits to uh, back in the day, even at Utah, I, I didn't realize how much membership really matters um, in terms of opportunities and potential. So getting into the AOTA, I was looking at any type of opportunity, whether it's just mentorship or rather just being a part of conferences, being a part of the education summit, being a part of the children and youth conference, as much as I can get involved in the AOTA professionally, but also through um, volunteering. So I, I think my first real step going from my state um, association to the national association was the DEI committee the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, that it kind of, it, it does make me think about what we say to our students in those of us that are OT educators and how that plays into what they do. And then, right. you know, it's, it's a ripple effect, really. Right. And so hats off to your alma mater for, for setting that in motion within yeah. you and your classmates, I'm sure. Right reinforced in a way that it really made practical sense, rather it just being aggressively forced upon students. Yeah, it, it did make sense. Yeah, and I think sometimes people think in terms of, you know, what do I get by directly from my membership? You know, what, what do I get? Um, sure. Free CEU courses, you know, that sort of almost tangible type thing is what people are looking for in that answer. But what I've learned in, in volunteering through AOTA and my state association and other professional associations is it, there's so many intangibles. Like you mentioned, the networking, it, it's just really invaluable. And um, the mentorship, even for pretty seasoned uh, clinicians like myself, you still, I mean, it doesn't even matter. A lot of some of my mentors are much younger than me. Um, and I just, you know, am in awe of what they, how they can articulate things and their ideas and their energy. And that's so much more easily available through a professional network or association. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And so AOTA has, has started a couple of years ago, the DEI committee, diversity, equity, inclusion committee. And that is a committee of AOTA members who are really specifically tasked with addressing issues of and even creating initiatives to address issues related to those, those three aspects of our profession, the DEI. Right. Um, and so how has your experience been so far on that committee? Sure, sure. It's, it, you know, it, it really, Stephanie, stemmed from 
uh, founding a COTAD chapter in, in my local university. So back almost three years ago, I want to say 2018, uh, middle of 2018 is when I came across COTAD. I'm like, what's what's COTAD? Uh, where in the West Coast is COTAD starting? It's almost It almost felt like a very dynamic grassroots hurricane of- Yeah, yeah. I, 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 and it, that's the way I would describe it because it all of a sudden it expanded so quickly. So with, with founding COTAD, and I think we were the first COTAD chapter in New York City in, in Brooklyn, New York. There are multiple schools in Brooklyn, New York, um, in New York City, but I think we were the very first ones if I'm not mistaken. From COTAD, it, it then flourished into seeing how students really love developing professionally through activities that they develop themselves, that they lead yes. themselves, and that they have an opportunity to kind of be creative with. You know, professional development isn't just um, adhering to the code of ethics. That's obviously a huge one, but it's also understanding who you are as a practitioner. I think that confidence starts with self-awareness and emotional intelligence, and then it kind of compounds to other skills. So in terms of DEI, I, I was really impressed with the DEI task force that AOTA created, um, which then led the way to multiple resources such as a DEI toolkit from AOTA. Um, and then at some point I realized, you know, uh, being, for example, a male occupational therapist, being a male of color, I'm like, I kind of understand certain expectations, but I also understand certain resources that could also inspire others. So I just, you know, applied to the DI committee. Unfortunately, and humbly, I was a part and I'm now a part of the DI committee. And I work with a great number of individuals across the nation and also internationally. There's a member from Saudi Arabia that's actually a part of the DI committee. Um, time zones are very interesting, Stephanie. So just Oh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Differences, but uh, it's been a great ride. And uh, we have a lot of great things in the works. I can't mention all of them, but they're going to be extremely fruitful, um, especially in San Antonio. That's it's really exciting stuff. And I, I appreciate and really value the way AOTA has set up that task force, which is very much the same as COTAD, which for anybody listening that isn't familiar with that is the Coalition of Occupational Therapy Advocates for Diversity, which is a national, quickly becoming international nonprofit organization that really looks at specifically is designed to target justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives in the OT profession. And in what that kind of secret sauce I think is, is the, the diversity of thought within that task force or within that organization. Um, it's, it's a lot less siloed than sometimes those things tend to be. And, you know, there's purpose for that too, when you have a, a more of a, a centralized focus, I guess, but there's just such power in diversity of thought. And I know you and I have talked a little bit about that. And I wanted to ask you to just elaborate a little bit more about that. What do we get from being around and engaging with people who have different back, backgrounds, perspectives, and ideas than, than our own. Sure, sure. I, I think the beauty of it, Steph, is that we get to listen. And listening is a, it's such an easy way to expand our knowledge. There's no effort involved in just listening. And that diversity of thought really allows us to appreciate and sometimes even incorporate other perspectives, other angles, other lived experiences. Um, you know, you know what I really found this step to be quite useful. I'm a part of the Asian Pacific Heritage Occupational Therapy Association. That's one of the MDI networks, the multiple MDI networks of AOTA. And I didn't realize how 
sometimes the, the, the background behind our thoughts and experiences really make us similar as healthcare practitioners, not even just OTs, but just the way we analyze situations, the way we think truly holistically. So when I say diversity of thought, it's almost like we're connecting on the same bandwidth. It's, it's we're speaking the same language, we're thinking about the same out outcomes. And at the same point, we're not just bounded by a very medical perspective, a very, uh, uh, ouch, that's the solution, or that's yeah. complaint, and that's the that's the back door, right? Like that's the the resolution. So, in terms of diversity of thought, I, I think it starts and it ends with just listening to others, and again, trying to integrate those experiences as a system rather than individual parts. And I think that word system is so powerful. It kind of reminds me of. Um, when you've created something, even like as a kid, when you've done like a really good painting or something and you're proud of it, you, you want to show somebody and say, look what I made. And I think when the, when everything aligns and you have that diversity of thought and respect for each other and that good listening and communication that you talked about, whenever that happens, to, when I'm lucky enough to witness or be a part of that, I want to just hold it up and say, look what we did. You know, it's just the energy behind it is so contagious and it just, it's something to be really proud of. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I know that you are running for an elected position within AOTA this spring. And I wondered if you might talk about your decision to run and the office that you are um, seeking in that election. Sure, sure. Thank you, Stephanie. I'm running for um, AOTA Board of Director. It's one of two positions that are currently open um, as a part of the, the seven Board of Director positions. Um, the, the beginning of that really kind of led from me realizing that advocacy isn't just at the city level. It's not at the state level. Um, and it can be at the national level in many different forms. But I kind of wanted to realize, uh, it kind of, it, it, it makes you feel a little uncomfortable being in such a platform where you're being analyzed and viewed and critiqued. That. And yeah. It's sometimes a little unnervy, but um, I think it really stemmed from my inspiration to say, you know what, I, me, myself, my name is Vikram Backpadden. I'm from New York. If I can try, then you know what, Stephanie, maybe someone else can, who might be from a similar background, who might be from a completely different background. doesn't really matter, but the gist is, if I can try to put myself out there, that's a great stance for advocacy because I have an, an opportunity. That's one thing AOTA provides quite lovely is, is a platform for opportunities. And I put my hat in the, in the actual ring and I'm hopeful that you know everything goes well in terms of elections, but I, I'm hoping that it kind of stems or has a domino effect for others to kind of really step forward and try. And I think that's all we can do when it comes to advancing the profession. Yep. So I'm running for AOTA board of director for um, this this year, and and currently voting is currently open. It's open till mid March. Yeah. What you um what you are saying really about your decision to step up, and then how that will really you didn't say this, but I will. It will inevitably affect other people's decision in the right. future to do the same to follow suit. You know, it's a building. It's a, it's a scaffolding type thing. It reminds me of one time I remember um, somebody talking about this being part of a, I think this, I hope I get this right. It's, I think a slogan of the um, 
Metro Transportation Authority in New York City, which is if ah. you see something, say something, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And so that just it popped into my head that that's that that's very much a belief of mine is not just say something, but do something. And that's what, what you're saying really makes me think about. And it's, it's not enough just to say, yeah, I know those are problems or, oh yeah, we should do something about that. It, at a certain point in, in your career, in your life, when you can, you just got, you have to do it. To you, step you Yep. You got to walk the walk, Stephanie. Yeah, you, you got to yes. talk, you got to walk the walk. <laughs> and you're right. Uh, the MTK in New York is is uh, prestigious for saying, if you see something, say something. And if you don't say something, then take the back seat, right? Just, just you know, yeah. carry forward the train. And, and I think we're not at a time where we can just sit down. It, it's either we try, <laughs> we try to get to the front of the train and we try to make a change if possible. Yeah. I could not agree more. That is really one of my life philosophies, I think, is that, that, you know, there's a time for observing, but this is not it. Um, This is a time for action, really. And I'm so proud of our profession for moving towards that. Um, As a member of the RA, and and I think you can speak to this too, that um, there's some really big stuff going on that just makes me so proud that it's even being talked about and considered and then supported. And I think that OT is on the cusp of some really huge stuff, just, you know, being front runners in the way that we should be. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so another question I have, and this is, this is adjacent to what we're talking about is what do you think that the profession of OT has allowed you to do personally and professionally? I think the the one thing that comes to mind, Stephanie, that I can say from the beginning of OT school to now, even in academia, is to be extremely confident in my own skin. I, I didn't see myself in academia, to be honest, coming from the clinical background. And I think that's uh, that might that might hit home to a lot of clinicians who are uh-huh. thinking now, you know what, could I teach not just a level two or level one, could I teach a class full of students? And, and I think what AOTA and the profession has really done for me is that it's allowed me to really gain that confidence in realizing that if I have a passion and I'm able to at least in some way creatively articulate that passion, I could give back as an educator. I mean, I, I respect clinical educators, I respect academic educators, I respect researchers, but I think um, giving back in terms of education is something that the AOTA has really prepared me for. It's reading, you know, reading age out articles to listening to webinars, listening to podcasts, for example, Stephanie, <laughs> and then going into multiple other avenues of multimedia. It's, it's, um, it, you know, one thing I always tell my students as well, Stephanie, it's, I, I really do appreciate that we're not, we're extremely nomadic. We don't just usually stay in one single spot for a long time. And, and that tells of our adaptability and our versatility. Oh, true. Yes. But we're, we're extremely all over the place, which is great. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it really kind of, and I was actually thinking about this earlier in our conversation that it's, I think this is a strength, the, the breadth and the depth really both of our, our scope of practice and what we are partially trained, but also just geared up, I guess, to do that we feel charged with. Absolutely. That's the strength of our profession. And when that happens in numbers, as it does in volunteering and, you know, getting involved with professional associations and just being around other OT practitioners. It's contagious. That's the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's not much like the opening ceremony of an AOTA conference. Yeah. So, I mean, that is probably a nerd alert here, but it really, no, I, I mean, it's like the best pep rally for OTs ever. No, it, it's the most OT-ish Super Bowl halftime, you know, as, much as, yeah, as, as close as it could be to, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the Rams and Bengals. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. Yes, yes. Well, so is there anything that I have not asked you about or that you were just hoping for us to talk about during this conversation? Um, yeah, actually, just one thing is very brief, um, Stephanie. I, I just kind of wanted to say that it's, um, you know, we're in the pandemic. I, I still do believe that we're kind of just at the tail end, hopefully at the tail end of the pandemic. And it's been definitely a ride. <laughs> it's been a roller coaster since 2020. I, I'm sure we all could agree. Um, I, I think it's important that, you know, everyone realizes that their energy might be fluctuating when it comes to their yeah. creativity and their interest and their drive. Um, but I, but I kind of wanted to mention that we, we shouldn't stop, whether it's just taking baby steps or taking giant leaps. If we stop, it's really hard to get started. It's like, it's like a winter in New York City. Once your tires are stuck in the snow, good luck trying to get out. I, I know why it was tied back to New York, but it's, <laughs> it, I'm, I'm, I always tell everyone, you know, in terms of students, anyone that I meet, it's little things, um, presentations, mentorship, um, new, new associations, getting connected with new different organizations, anything you can do to advance your mind and advance your professionalism, I think we should continue to do. It doesn't have to be in huge quantities, but moving forward is something we shall all do, even during the pandemic, is what I want to mention, Steph. I think that's really important. And it makes me think of, you know, we hear a lot about burnout. Right. Right. And that concerns me, and I'm sure you too, especially when that is a relatively newish practitioner. You know, they just have a few years under their belt and they're already, sometimes it's just a year or so, and they're already like, oh, what did I do? I don't love it, you know. And that, and then the partner to that is imposter syndrome. And I do think those go really hand in hand, even for more seasoned practitioners like me, there are times you get in a situation, whether it's as an OT educator or a clinician, and you think, I don't really know the answer. And the, what I have trained myself to do over years and years is to look at it as a growth opportunity and, and really mistakes are just data collection. Right. It's, that's what you learn. And, and that this, my background in assistive technology is really what strengthened this in myself, because a lot of times I would get presented with some kind of a clinical conundrum. How do I solve this? Or this device is not doing what you said it would. And I'd have to really figure it out, you know, whether it was like reading the owner's manual, calling the company, playing with it myself, Googling it, whatever. But then the next time that problem comes up, Oh, you got it. Yeah, I got it. Yes, that's yeah. right. And now it's now a template that you can never forget. It's it's, yes. it's it's saved as permanently in your hard drive, and that's with any yes. experience, right? It's it's an experience that always translates to, I can handle this because it's something similar to what I've experienced before. And whether it's AT or you know turning turning it off and putting it back on, oh, that was it. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, I think to people that are feeling or experiencing that burnout, that imposter syndrome, thinking like, should I really have this job? Do I, I don't really know what to do with these patients or my, my, it all really comes back to connection with others in the profession. To me, that's the antidote is 
to not let it fester in the dark. If you're stressed, if you're feeling like you don't know what you're doing, you have to expose that so it doesn't continue to fester in the Petri dish. Most likely they're not alone and it really does take a village. It's sometimes we have a village, we have a community and it's called, you know, it's called OT, (laughs) whether it's from the state to the national association, whatever it is, just we're not alone. And it's truly, it's truly comforting to know that whatever you're experiencing is probably to some degree, a, you know, a, a little bit of a glimpse to what many others might be going through. And that's reassuring, right? To, to some degree. Yeah. Way. Yeah. I mean, there is strength in num- numbers and we want to know that while we're all unique, we all have some similarities and sometimes, yep. you know, being overloaded or feeling confused or, you know, just not knowing what to do. That's all part of that common human experience. And I think seeing more diversity in the representation in our, in our, on the state level, you know, local level and in, in our national organization, that lets us know because of that diversity and representation that there is a common thread, even, even when we think there might not be, there is for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. Well, thank you so much, Vic, for taking time out of your, I'm sure, super busy schedule to, to talk to me. It's been really inspiring and enlightening, and um, I look forward to seeing what else you do in the profession. Oh, thanks, Stephanie. I, I really do appreciate it. Coming from you, that's that's a huge thank you so much, Stephanie. Oh, that, well, thank you. It's, thank it's, you. A, it's a great opportunity, and I, and I thank you again, Stephanie, for, for the platform to even allow you know my, the expression of my experiences, and that's huge. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thanks for listening. Please share about the podcast to help us connect with others interested in occupational therapy and OT-related topics. Thanks again, and I look forward to engaging via future episodes. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.